0: Welcome to The Weekly Squeak, a weekly roundup of interesting news and discussions from the past week, plus quite often an interview topic or maybe more in-depth discussions on a particular topic. I am your host, Christian Chiller. This podcast episode also accompanies a newsletter where you can find the topics that are discussed and make up your own minds. You can find more about me on christianchiller.com or at Christianch on Twitter, especially some of the other shows and newsletters that I now run. For those of you joining me from my old Gareth Mammal show, some of the the tone here will be similar, but I have gone back to doing the show alone, and maybe the topics will be slightly broader than pure tech. Okay, let's get started. A few uh, EU-related news. I am based here in Berlin. The EU is one of the many government institutions surrounding me. And there's a couple of interesting topics, technology-related, that uh, came up regarding the EU in the past couple of weeks. Uh, and as this is a first show of the new year, we are not going to be just covering things for the past week. So, the first one that um, attracted my attention was from John Fingers over on Engadget. And this is the EU offering bounties to help find security flaws in open source tools. These bounties will start in January and focus on a specific uh, 14 tools that the EU and some of its institutions use most widely. These include a lot of tools you've probably heard of, things like VLC, uh, Drupal, which I used to actually contribute to way back, and even the GNU C Library. Bounties are actually pretty reasonable from about 25,000 to 90,000 and are running throughout most of this year. So while, of course, the EU is not 100% guaranteeing that uh, fulfilling these bounties will prevent problems in the future, it's interesting to see that institutions who use open source software are starting to step up and fund some of the development that needs to happen to keep them running in the the most efficient and secure ways. And there'll be a bit more on open source I'll be circling back to a little bit after this, this specific EU section. And then somewhat related to... Security and <laughs> the EU again. It was an article on uh, Wired from Chris Stokel walker And this was a fascinating uh, title. The EU doesn't really have a plan to stop its elections being hacked. Um, for those of you who are not aware, of course, the EU is is comprised of uh, 27 <laughs> uh, whether well, that number may change in the near future, and that's something I'll come to in a minute, um, member nations, and it doesn't necessarily dictate how they should run their elections, um, but does offer some kind of um, institutional support around uh, security and uh, checking that those elections have happened fairly. But this is more specifically focusing on the European-level elections that do happen, and as this sort of strange uber body over member states, governments, the fact that their elections could be rigged uh, with, a, with a, a fairly powerful uh, institutional body is also quite important. It's actually interesting that uh, quite a few people quoted in this article from the EU and from other places mentioned that the DNC hack in 2016, which um, wasn't that long ago really, was what has really started a lot of these governments' Um, looking seriously into election rigging, election hacking. And in some respects, it's kind of crazy that, especially bearing in mind usually the length of election cycles, it's happening so recently. Uh, Another interesting aspect in here was that Estonia is held up as an interesting example of a country that is doing very well. Um, But it's also interesting because there have been reports in the past that their online election system is not as secure as it could be. I also once witnessed the uh, project lead of the e-residency program at an event here voting at a conference to show how simple the system was. Um, so I'm not saying that that means it's insecure, but um, but maybe drawing so much attention to its simplicity opens it up to even more potential for hijacking. And, of course, there are the usual players that... Uh, This security is being put in place against Russia, North Korea, China, Iran as well. Um, So we shall see what happens in elections later this year and in 2020, I guess, and see if these measures have been successful. Because in some of the other elections of recent times, I think the French election was held up as a good example, that security went surprisingly well and things weren't influenced. So... We shall see if lessons have been learned enough to keep up with the hackers. And finally, in EU news or non-E news, depending how you look at it, this was an article from Steve Ranger over on... uh, I'm going to go for the British pronunciation, ZDNet, about tech investment falling as Brexit uh, gathers strength, maybe. (laughs) Um, I found this interesting because... Having a look at the total funding in 2018, London got 1.8 billion, which was down from uh, about 2.5 billion the year before. But its nearest uh, rival is Berlin with 936 million. So even in a time when investments are down in London, its nearest rival is at half investment, which I found quite staggering actually. Um, and whilst I am very much pro-European and pro-Remain, and I have no qualms with saying that, I think there are bits of me at the back of my mind that kind of think that despite the fact I'd rather it didn't happen, that uh, business will be as usual quite potentially in in Britain post-Brexit because really it hasn't made a huge impact so far, bearing in mind that I think from reports I feel like I have seen that Uh, global investments are down anyway. So this isn't necessarily unique to the UK and the EU. But still, it was interesting just to see how much investment goes into the UK still. Whether that remains, I guess, is something that's interesting to be seen. And another interesting fact here is that Cambridge, another city in the UK, is actually at the bottom of the top 10. So the UK actually has two cities in the top 10. So, So it's not... That's not too bad, I guess, in some respects. And now, sweeping back to what I alluded to earlier and talking about open source and sustainability of open source, this has been a hotly discussed topic recently, actually, and I won't go into too much detail right now. It might be something i come back for for a more in- detailed discussion in the coming months. But around, um, I guess, the maturity of open source, but the, the negative sides of what's happening here, uh, there's been a lot of, uh, I guess... I suppose it's more circumstantial um, evidence to show, uh, without digging massively into uh, financial reporting of various open source companies, that a lot of open source companies that traditionally made their money out of um, commercial options, commercial support, hosted versions of their software, are beginning to feel the pinch because of cloud providers providing their software, plus, obviously, a fully supported and maintained uh, set of uh, servers and instances to run that on plus all the other software they're likely to need and providing it generally in a far better and um, more feature-packed way than some of the specific software vendors and this is problematic of course because it means these vendors are not making any money any- or not making as much money anymore to continue supporting the open source versions and I have heard from a a few people who work at uh, companies who I won't mention, but some major open source vendors that are experiencing this problem. And um, firstly, there was an interesting article on a blog called The Observation Deck uh, from uh, Brian Cantrell talking about some of the background behind this and some of the strange licensing that has come out of a few companies recently to attempt to combat this, but maybe not handling it the best way they could. And the fallout from some of that, I guess, with the best of intentions, they were trying to protect open source projects, but maybe it could have been handled better. And then interestingly, uh, I think just a couple of days ago, um, AWS, of course, one of the biggest, if not the biggest cloud vendor at the moment, has repeatedly in the past created pretty much its own versions of popular software did a similar thing with uh, Mongo, uh, one of the many companies that is feeling the, the pinch from the pressure of cloud vendors. And AWS launched a new service called DocumentDB. And actually sometimes when you browse the AWS product pages to see the amount of products they have, it's quite staggering. They really seem to do have a product for everything. Um, I did have some discussions with some people at Mongo who claim that DocumentDB is not, doesn't really touch most of what Mongo does, but of course we all know that being the best and having the best features is not always the most important thing and that people generally use fairly limited feature selection, so maybe it won't matter. I guess the interesting aspect, of course, is that, uh, as far as I know, pretty much most of the software equivalents that AWS creates are not open-sourced, so they're not really given back to the community in any way, shape or form. And while Mongo has some fairly strong commercial components, it still does have a core open source product project that people can use. Um, And I guess the thing that stuck in my mind the most about this was this whole aspect of AWS kind of saying, well, if we don't get what we want, we'll just make it ourselves. And then you get this sort of somewhat black box software that no one really has any insight into. And I guess the other interesting aspect before I wrap up on this is that AWS and Amazon haven't contributed much of what they uh, have learned or created through AWS back to open source, whereas Google Cloud from Google and Microsoft Azure from Microsoft have. And a lot of the products that they have created are contributed back. Not all, of course, but more, I think, than AWS, which is interesting. So not all cloud vendors are created equally. And if you need another reason to dislike Amazon, uh, there's, there's another one there. Um, again, we will see if that matters to people and if supporting open source properly actually really matters or if they just want the convenience and everything in one place. And finally, rounding up the topics that caught my interest uh, this this year or this week, if you like, was firstly... Actually, well, both of these are from The Guardian. Um, one from... Jordan Kistner, on uh, an interesting piece of technology that is helping people who can't speak, speak. Um, And, of course, one of the classic examples of some software like this is the one that Stephen Hawking used to use, but there are, of course, many others, um, and uh, used by less famous people. Um, And I suppose this is always one of these nice aspects. It's always interesting and and pleasant to come back to uh, the fact that There are technologies that are definitely used for good, some not, some can be suspect, and there are definitely some that are used for good. And helping people communicate in ways they couldn't before is definitely one of those. Um, This is quite an interesting article about um, a couple of different pieces of software, one in a particular called Vocal ID, about how they actually uh, build up a profile of someone's voice, preferably before they lose it. But, of course, this isn't always possible. But um, And then then they will create a relatively authentic generated voice from those samples, which I find quite fascinating. And, obviously, it prevents you getting the, the overtly robotic voice that, I guess, earlier versions like Stephen Hawking used are famous for. Related to accessibility, and this sort of came up in my research because I was helping uh, create an article on um, ways to make the web more accessible recently. And this was uh, something from uh, Chris Ashton, who works for the BBC, actually, but on Smashing Magazine, which is a German publication, about using the web for a day using a screen reader. And I think this is very interesting. This is another one of those... Uh, God, I say interesting a lot, don't I? Um, one of those I can't think of anything else to say. A bit interesting now. Um, where often developers, especially, are accused of of creating software in perfect conditions, creating software that works great on a high speed internet connection, but not thinking about users in places where that doesn't exist. And this applies to people who use accessibility tools to browse the web, including screen readers. That a lot of Modern, highly complex layouts are terrible for screen readers. And if you use the web with a screen reader, you appreciate that, and then you are more passionate or motivated to change it, of course. So I would urge any kind of budding web designer slash developer to have a read of this just to get an idea of what it's like, and try it yourself. I shudder to think what some of my web presences are like with a a screen reader. I think it's a good exercise to try and just just to appreciate how other people browse the web. And finally, going completely randomly, another article from The Guardian, uh, from Mark (laughs) O'Connell, a a title that really grabbed my eye because I I love kind of uh, these crazy uh, conspiracy theories and dystopian visions and things like that. Um, Why Silicon Valley billionaires are prepping for the apocalypse in New Zealand. And I actually spoke to a few New Zealand friends after sharing this, um, who who did confirm that this has been happening for a little while. But this is the the, the tale of a handful of fairly wealthy, mostly Silicon Valley and, and other American entrepreneurs buying property in New Zealand because they feel that when the shit hits the proverbial fan it'd be a good place to ride out the apocalypse <laughs> whether that's true when it's surrounded by so much water and it is also famous for earthquakes uh, i'm not 100% sure but the article is quite fascinating and the 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 way that the article is written is reminiscent of like an old sort of lovecraftian or 1920s detective novel of the the writer following these obscure paths and getting snatches of conversations from from people who might have an idea about shady things that happen and then they get a moment to to uh sneak into a ranch of a particular silicon valley entrepreneur and yeah it's just quite a fascinating read and uh (laughs) I guess not surprising, but um, surprising. So that was my roundup of interesting tidbits from the news that caught my eyes over the past week or so. Um, Still sharpening up the format. Uh, I hope you enjoyed some of those and go and have a read of some of the articles yourself. And please, if you have anything you'd like me to consider and take a look at, then you can find my contact details on christianchiller.com slash contact. I'd love to hear from you. And some feedback, of course. But to round off this show, here is an interview I did about a month ago now, but then the holidays got in the way of releasing it under the old podcast. This is an interview I did with Rachel Black, a developer advocate at a company here in Berlin called Lisk. I have interviewed Lisk before. Their CMO, uh, Thomas, you can find that interview on an episode of the Gagarin's Mauer podcast. It was quite a popular episode. And Lisk is a a blockchain-based company that is, I guess, trying to do things a little differently and has always, in my mind, worked a lot harder to make a usable and useful experience for developers. And in this interview, we talk about Lisk a bit, we talk about the roadmap, but we also have a more general conversation about uh, working in, in developer relations in the blockchain space and the kind of unique aspects that that uh, technical culture has, plus also developer relations more broadly, and um, yeah, funding companies, and a fairly it's a fairly wide-ranging discussion. So I hope you enjoy.
1: My name is Rachel. I'm a tech evangelist here at Lisk. I have a development background, so I was working for a number of years um, in London at a number of startups. Uh, javascript background so mainly working with react and also some Node, um and it's over there whilst i kind of got the blockchain bug started getting going to loads of meetups and eventually uh helping to kind of organize meetups and then also speaking at meetups so it's kind of from then that i kind of got a taste for the kind of evangelism side of thing and the developer relations thing so this is how I've kind of ended up now working at Lisk in the tech evangelism well, role, which is super exciting. So Lisk, it's um, we're a blockchain application platform. Um, we're kind of, we are building the tools to allow people to build decentralized applications, and um, so kind of there's a number of other players kind of doing similar things. What differentiates us is that we have like a very um, very strong focus on accessibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is something we've kind of had from day one, which is why why we chose our language as JavaScript. Uh, we're now migrating some of that over to TypeScript because we okay. find it's actually uh, really uh, beneficial for our developers. It
0: didn't have quite enough levels of abstraction, so you should probably add another one.
1: Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's um, TypeScript's working for us, so it's, it's exciting to bring that in. Um, and it's so basically, we build the infrastructure for you to create this decentralized app and. We're doing that in a slightly different way to kind of the smart contracts that you'd get on, say, Ethereum. Uh, one of our kind of key offerings is uh, sidechains. Mm-hmm. So the kind of future that we envision is that you would be able to go to Lisk, use our developer tooling. So Elements and Commander, which are kind of a very core part of, of what we do. Uh, use that to kind of build your own sidechain. Um, and then in that sidechain, your distributed app would live um, and then that can communicate to the Lisk main chain and then, you know, in the future potentially to other sidechains. So it's a, it's a blockchain application platform, um, which is using sidechains to kind of bring scalability and customization right. to, to the ecosystem.
0: Is the Lisk main chain public within Lisk or?
1: Lisk main chain is public, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. But just within Lisk or in theory to, I don't know, any kind of random HTTP call or something?
1: Um, so it's, I mean, you can run a, a, if you run a node, you can run a private node to kind of, we have an API mm-hmm. layer. So we have both um, HTTP and we have...
0: Uh, it's not behind authentication or no. it's completely public, domain yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So anyone can pull down and run a node. Um, we have delegates who may run a node. The, the ledger is public, so mm-hmm. you can go and like, you know, track how many lists have been spent. It's, it's, it's a public ledger in that sense. We have delegates who also run nodes, and some of them run it with slightly more privacy because they're obviously kind of uh, they're forging, you know. Um, But yeah, we we have uh, public APIs.
0: Mm -hmm. I spoke with uh, with Thomas uh, six months. No, actually, it was about six months ago. Let's go with six months. Yeah, yeah. slightly less, but let's go for six months. Sounds better. Uh, And um, have there been any? Let's start with if there's been any major developments since then. Yeah, major changes. So this all got kicked off by I went to your first birthday party which was the big relaunch things went a little quiet Yeah I know you've been hiring a lot Mm -hmm. which implies something is happening but not always Mm -hmm. but um, so what has happened in the past six months?
1: Yeah so actually we've done quite a lot and I think when you spoke to Thomas they're in the process of launching Mm 1.0 to Testnet that's gone to Mainnet Um, and since then we've been um, releasing quite a number of I think we've had three minor releases and we're keeping up much more kind of incremental releases and that's going to be part of our development process going forward. Um, So that happened back at the end of summer. The last couple of weeks, we've had two big announcements and Mm -hmm. that is our revised roadmap. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a very detailed document, which kind of, it breaks down from where we are now to our full sidechain chain let's development kit let's just
0: go into that and in a bit more detail When mm-hmm. we get to number two is it revised in terms of detail or timelines or both
1: uh so both i mean well we've released it without timelines because okay. we we're seeing sort of that this is uh, you know kind of becoming an industry standard to do that um, and we want to we want to make sure that we maintain the trust and it is a hard thing to do so mm. we don't want to set up you know, false expectations, but the roadmap can definitely be used as a a guide for like prioritization and the order that we're going to do things in. Of course, everything that we do is on GitHub and it's public. So it's completely out there for, for the community to kind of track our yeah. progress and how, how we're achieving those uh, milestones on the roadmap, But, yeah.
0: And apart from increased detail, is there anything new in terms of items or order or...
1: Yeah. So, I mean, one of the big things is, and this kind of ties into the other part of our announcement, is this uh, LIPS, which is mm-hmm. a LISC improvement proposal. Oh, this
0: is number two or... Yeah. Okay. So, so, so like we have- the... IPES, or however they pronounce it. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. So, like, um, just as we had it, BIPs, the Bitcoin improvement okay, yeah. proposals. BIPs, IPES, LIPS. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, following the kind of industry naming convention there. Um, but these are technical and academic uh, documents that detail um, what we do both on the protocol layer and we also have application layer ones as well. So, it's really bringing a lot more kind of transparency and detail to. The milestones um, in the roadmap. So it's not just it's not just a kind of superficial roadmap in the sense that we think we're going to do this and you know we might do that. Um, it's really bringing the kind of solid technical backbone to to the roadmap. Um, and we launched with nine lips, um, but we've got a team of um, we've got a team of cryptographers, um, serious academic backgrounds. They are they're working on them full time. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be more coming out as, as they are finished. Um, and also our, our development team is also producing a lips for kind of application architecture. So there's sort of two levels there. Um,
0: Was this a reaction to things that people were asking for in, in terms of specific lips or? Um,
1: well, it's just kind of, it's about us um, having a transparent process mm-hmm. um, and it's, so obviously, we've got our team here at Lightcurve who are working on on these lips, um, and we want to be very clear with the community in terms of this is why we're doing what we're doing, and this is, this is the reason for it, um, so it's for transparency for us, mm. but it's also nice in the sense that it gives the community um, an opportunity to also be part of that process either through feedback um, or if they actually want to submit their mm-hmm. own lip, it is completely open. So it's very much about having a kind of collaborative and transparent process. Mm-hmm. And we kind of we see that very much as kind of part of you know, kind of part of the ethos of being open source and including people in, in the decision making process.
0: Um, this gets into an interesting territory. I don't think it's something you have ever covered before. Mm. And you may or may not have an answer right now because as far as I'm aware you're mostly uh, VC and like crowdfunding funded
1: oh so we did yeah. an ICO back in so 2016 yeah, yeah, okay. yeah.
0: so um, in terms of and I don't I, I know this is always the horrible question to every uh, tech startup mm. I don't necessarily want to get into terms of monetization in that will it work but is is there an end goal intention of it being a SaaS style platform in terms of people will pay for levels of access or something like that or is that not being considered yet or mm-hmm. and there is a there was a reason i'm asking this question but
1: so which we i'll have, get
0: to it in a minute but
1: so we have um so we have a separation between the lisk foundation mm-hmm. um which is responsible for sort of managing the funds um and kind of all the legalities around the ico and yeah. and, and the structure um, and here at but our core team is actually we're employed via Lightcurve mm-hmm. so there's a separation there so Lightcurve is kind of a sort of for, for profit um, software consultancy basically which is building on the Lyft platform okay um, so and this is something that you see in a lot of other blockchain yep. projects so the actual foundation itself um, obviously you know it holds a lot of LISC. So if, you know, LISC grows and it becomes successful, then it gets it, yeah, yeah, monetary gain from so that.
0: LISC um, at the moment is intended to remain free to use as a platform. Yes. Okay. Yes. So the, the, the reason I asked this question was around potential, uh, you know there's always been this this weird balancing act sometimes with some open source projects of when sometimes some contributors become a bit too big bigger than others mm-hmm. um and through the the lips, I was wondering if there may be the potential of like uh, client sway but if if there is no kind of client priority, then I suppose it probably is something that won't happen
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: quite yet I mean, mm-hmm. if things change, who knows but um yeah, okay. Uh, and has anyone submitted any yet, apart from the, the team?
1: Uh, so we only released it like two weeks ago. So oh, we have we um, They are very, um, <laughs> so the requirements to submit a lit, it is quite detailed. Um, and we've kind of set the bar quite high in terms of the, the content there. So we haven't had one in yet, but okay. we definitely welcome that. What
0: well, have people been interacting with the?
1: People have been interacting with them and it's all up there on GitHub for people to read um, and we've, you know, we've had people signing up to our mailing list and the submissions will come and I think certainly there are kind of milestones on our development uh, roadmap that are you know potentially more contentious um, so we can definitely envision a lot more kind of community contributions and debate around that um, but it, the interesting thing about LIPS also Is that we're also building out our partnerships um, So we are building out partnerships With King's College London um, And also I,
0: I'd actually like to come through partnerships In these cases in a minute Yeah I uh, just wanted you You just you just kind of tossed me a, a bit of bait there That I couldn't mm. resist Controversial roadmap items
1: Yeah <laughs> So it? yeah of course Of course um, So I mean I think One of the potential controversial ones is we're a DPOS, a delegated proof of stake Mm -hmm. uh, consensus mechanism. So we are looking at ways to kind of make that fairer and more equitable and kind of improve um, engagement from the community so that delegates are, there is like competition between delegates and that we're very lucky in the sense that we have seen some really fantastic contributions from the delegate community. So we've had Uh, a centre open a list elite centre opened up in uh, Shanghai Mm -hmm. um, and we have more um, more projects like that coming on board and we have very active members who are kind of uh, running meetup groups um, contributing to our code and identifying bugs Um, so we really want to kind of um, facilitate it so we're kind of fostering that active contribution to the list network Um, and that's something that of course, in any uh, DPA system, there is a lot of contention around any changes to to these mechanisms. Yeah. So I think that's potentially would be uh, one of the most uh, contentious ones. And also, I think one of the trickier ones, and I think this is a, a tricky thing for kind of the industry um, industry wide, is this kind of side chain communication interoperability mm-hmm. piece. Uh, there are various ways about doing this. Um, we are believers in kind of doing a, a decentralized approach so we we could do a very superficial sidechain communication this is something we could kind of implement now but we want to um we want to do it in a decentralized way and it's it, there are a number of approaches to doing that and i think with having lips and and kind of um giving enough room for debate around that will get get us in a position where we are getting the solution that's um you know best for not just for not not just that we think it's best at light curve but it's also best for the community um as well so wanting to yeah. be very collaborative there and then
0: is this uh i'd actually be interested to know what's the what's the separation between kind of issues in a in a in a repository and lips um and I know this sounds strange because the word mm. issue is obviously fairly weighted, yeah. but often people use it for all sorts of, <laughs> yeah, sorts of yeah. things. But is it a, an opportunity to break out the more theoretical issues into discussion
1: mm-hmm. as
0: opposed to just pure code contributions and, and things like that?
1: So with LIPS, we um, we are pushing... I mean, most of the conversation on LIPS happens on a mailing list, okay. which is oh, uh, right, similar okay. to the uh, uh, Bits process because it's not really suited for like people creating issues on, on GitHub and that kind of, that's more suited for kind of, you know, pull requests and that kind of level of conversation. And, and it is quite uh, detailed and it's, um, you know, these are, these are hard topics that require like thoughtful discussion Mm and thoughtful Mm -hmm. debate. So mailing list is the uh, medium that we've chosen for that. And that's, you know, something that we're, we're all partaking in as well. Okay.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's go back to what you started to talk about, uh, mm. partnerships, use cases. Um, I would think that partnership and use cases were somewhat overlapped, but maybe not. But mm-hmm. uh, let's start with the partnerships. And if use cases are relevant, mention those. If not, we'll go to use cases afterwards.
1: So in terms of, I mean, I guess there's a separation in in, in the sense of people that we're partnering mm. with in terms of our academic okay, research yep. for lips so we can partner with the universities on that and it's certainly a very nice mechanism for uh, you know students and university members to get exposure to this really um, exciting yeah, area of technology yeah, yeah. um when it comes to kind of use cases we've this quarter we've hired um bi- we've hired on the business development side so mm-hmm. we are you know, we're very much going through the process. I think we're going to be launching a business paper soon, so I don't want to say too much about that. But um we are, you know, obviously we're actively kind of researching and you know looking for a kind of first sort of projects on board and, and what industry is that going to be. And these these are very mm-hmm. active conversations that are ongoing in in like hub at the moment.
0: All right, well let, let's 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 dig a little deeper yeah. into that. I mean, in terms of, I mean you know we, we all know that the blockchain space is sometimes a little guilty of uh, lots of people making things and not so many people making things with those things
1: mm-hmm.
0: um so we can we can you know we can we can we can uh, give a little bit of a an excuse there because yeah. <laughs> everybody's having the same problem yeah um but uh, are people building and if so what are they building
1: So with List currently, we have, I mean, we've had our main chain operational. Um, We are, the next phase of development that we are about to go into is our architecture and design phase. Um, And that's to kind of give us a very modular uh, and flexible design for for our core. After that, we will be able to go into, we'll be able to release our alpha SDK, Mm -hmm. which is our first offering with the SDK so it's
0: because okay, so the SDKs because I think the SDKs were announced at the first birthday and they're still coming you know? yeah, yeah <laughs> so, I mean yeah, yeah okay. so
1: it's um, and I think this is kind of a, a thing that we've seen industry wide okay. is that the development actually does take a lot longer well, okay let's go back
0: a step then mm-hmm. so um, can people build at the moment you can build at the moment you can so, write contracts can't you I think
1: no so currently well currently you can run nodes Um yeah. and nodes have like so there's APIs associated with nodes, so you can build um, you can build like apps that would kind of work with Lisk as, as a currency level, as a okay. kind of what the main chain does. Um, and the main chain is it's we've deliberately made it quite limited in the functionality that it has. So it's mainly around sending transactions and obviously also voting for delegates. Um, we wanted to like not add too much complexity there, um, so you can kind of interact with it on that level. But when we come to um, creating you know, our, our SDK offerings, it will be more around you're able to create your own sidechain and you can set up your own custom transactions. Mm-hmm. And so you know, you probably want different transactions than we've got on, on mainchain, and that will be specific to your use case and, and what your application does. Um, so the first um, SDK offering will be after the um, architecture and design uh, phases completed. Um, but that's going to be Alpha SDK so it is going to be uh, pretty slimmed down we won't have um, all of the support of our developer tooling which is kind of really what we want oh, to no. give people so it will be more um, for more adventurous developers um, and you know potentially ones that we have relationships with after that we've also got our beta SDK and release candidate SDK and they'll be increasingly supported by elements in Commander um, so you'll be able to kind of use Commander to, uh, you know, set up a lot of the tasks for you to kind of create your sidechain, chain and, and that will take a lot of the pain out for developers. Mm-hmm. And then using Elements, which is our library and we're, we're increasingly pulling out, um, we're going through a process um, of pulling out bits of core, rewriting it in Elements and then it'll be consumed in core again via mm-hmm. Elements. So Elements will kind of become like the building, blo- building blocks, but also um, Commander is like a super useful tool. Once we get onto beta and release candidate SDK, there'll be much more support for more tooling. So,
0: so basically at the moment you have the, it is possible to have side change, which I think you create from the, I can't remember the exact tool, but I remember doing it.
1: So, <laughs> so currently, I mean, so currently we don't, I mean, we don't have side chain communication. Do, okay. I feel um, like I did something. No, no, we at don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we've um, actually signed, it's interesting because side chain is actually coming um, at the okay. end of our roadmap. And the reason for that is that we've really wanted to prioritize um, getting the SDKs out because, mm-hmm. it, as a developer, if you want to work with Lisk and you want to um, build your decentralized app or your proof of concept, um, the sidechain communication part—that's actually the last, yeah. the last part you need. You need. Um, you need to be able to create the app. You need to be able to, you know, create the sidechain that it's going to live on. Um, and you need the, the support of the tooling there. Yeah, so okay. that's, that will come yeah. last. Um, but, yeah, so currently you can, I mean, you can run a node. We've got quite a number of node operators. Um, and you can interact with the node. So we have people in the community who are kind of, they're building kind of fun tools on top of, you um, Lisk main chain um, which is kind of not really the intention but it's great that people are kind of already playing around and, and getting a feel for that if um, something's
0: public people will do something with exactly, it, so that's, that's the
1: joy of um, you know open source uh, development um, so how are
0: they building that at the moment then
1: so we have um, so we have um, so a number of projects we have um, things like um, we have one which is a website that you can it's it's more of a kind of like these are more kind of passion projects or a hobby yeah, sure, thing sure. um stuff like we've had an integration with if this then that mm-hmm. um so you can hook it up so if somebody sends list then you can add yeah, your triggers yeah. it could be a text so message. It's, it's
0: it's leveraging some kind of standard
1: exactly program. um so it's kind of building on top of of the main chain um ultimately you know it will go much beyond mm-hmm. that when we have yeah. SDKs.
0: But the smart contract language, in for you for want of a better word, mm-hmm. that exists or that's still also in development?
1: So we are not using a smart contract yeah, approach. Sure. We have a okay. transaction-based approach. Okay. And the reason is that we found that actually um, for most use cases, you don't need the full mm-hmm. scope of writing a smart contract. Now, it may be in the future that we build that into one of our side chains. And, and because we also have a modular approach, we can build that in. But for now, we're creating. We have set transactions in uh, Lisk main chain, and then we will allow um, users when they create their DApps, they'll also be able to set up their transactions. Because the reality is, you don't need that kind of full. Kind so
0: of but when you be. mentioned uh, JavaScript earlier, mm. what what is that doing at the moment? And how, so, how uh, when do people need the JavaScript?
1: Okay, well? so essentially, we are. We say JavaScript on other, now TypeScript okay. is coming oh, sorry, type more script, part of it, yeah. um, that's okay. Um, so it's, in some ways we're more of a kind of Node.js project. So okay. we have, um, each, of, each of our nodes is a node server. Is a node
0: so, node. Yeah, exactly, it's a node node, it's a node node. <laughs> okay, yeah.
1: um, so to work with it, obviously JavaScript background, node background is gonna really set you up there. Um, so yeah, it's a node server, and it, we're using Postgres and okay. quite another different things, and then it's obviously got the technology to speak to other nodes. Um, mm. So that's kind of broadly how it works. Um,
0: okay, this is interesting. Now you've mentioned that to me, having worked in this also in this space in the past, this is sounding increasingly like a a somewhat traditional. Uh, distributed database <laughs> but I don't know if that's true or not
1: well I mean with
0: a slightly more advanced um consensus model maybe
1: I think so I mean I think if we can kind of come more towards a developer experience yeah. of that I think that can actually be a real asset because mm-hmm. writing smart contracts and getting your head round, you know solidity and that whole process something like that that can be a hurdle in itself mm-hmm. um obviously we still have you know the whole kind of um the cryptography to back up the distributed uh, ledger in Lisk. So it's kind of, in some ways, yes, it is bringing in mm. some of that familiar environment to to development, but still um, holding on to the kind of.
0: It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's yeah, just, I, it's probably going to be a criticism that some people might
1: yeah
0: have. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, again, as we were talking earlier before we started recording, as you know, blockchain use cases are. Small. It, it's a, a, a still a significant amount of projects in terms of um, sheer numbers, but mm-hmm. actually the amount that probably need that is still it's not every application. Mm-hmm. So there are plenty of applications where a distributed database is is, is fine, and that's all they need. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you come to uh, the ability for people to transfer ownership and things like that, without. A central kind of authority then yeah. it becomes more interesting so yeah there, there are still use cases for just a purely decentralized distributed database
1: yeah yeah and yeah. definitely but I mean we are 100% uh, kind of blockchain project so we are kind of marrying there's elements of the yeah. developer experience that yeah. mirror something that people are familiar with but also bringing mm-hmm. in um, the decentralized yeah. element as well and and you're completely right I think certainly what we'll see when blockchain becomes more widely adopted is that maybe it's only a small part of an application yeah. that it is utilizing blockchain and maybe um, there will still be a lot of the kind of traditional tech that supplements <laughs> that as well this is actually
0: uh, digging slightly further here because um, I mean there was a there, there is there was is still I think. Mm another project in Berlin that was attempting to do something similar in a slightly different way, which Mm -hmm. is BigchainDB, who in terms of blockchain startups are relatively old, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and especially the company that came before them, Um, which was a bit of an odd idea in that it was a database under the hood with a blockchain on top to kind of give transactional support, which is actually often what is missing in Mm -hmm. distributed databases anyway. And I don't, I am never entirely clear how successful they've been with this. Mm -hmm. Um, So in terms of uh, moving forward, is that a project you look at to see, here's some things we'll do differently, or we are doing this differently, or we are different completely, Mm -hmm. Mm because their model was pretty different. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know they kind of had the whole side project to make like a large public database of databases, which... I don't know if that ever really happened, but mm-hmm. if you were as a normal person to ever run big chain, you were running it just privately, really.
1: Yeah, yeah, Most yeah.
0: of the time. So it was a slightly different paradigm, oh. but is it a project that you look to for any form of mm-hmm. inspiration or or the opposite? <laughs> I don't know. Um,
1: well, I mean, I don't know too much about big Change. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm you know, familiar well, with you, it,
0: but I don't. You as a, as a kind of,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, we, kind of our research team and our developers are yeah. very much kind of keeping up to date with the latest project particularly you
0: might even have hired some of them. (laughs) (laughs) of course it's a it's
1: a very kind of small uh, small world here in berlin um but i think really for us our kind of core offering will be this kind of building a blockchain application platform so we're we're not so much focused on the data side of things like hyperledger
0: has too with the hyperledger compose which is also interesting yeah they kind of push it as a, a something that uh, a business analyst can use, which I, I don't think is true right now, but, um, but that's the goal, future. right? Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, uh, so your role with Lisk is, uh, developer relations, developer evangelist, developer mm-hmm. advocate. I don't know. it depends on the company and the culture really, but yeah, somewhat the same, um, which is still a relatively new role, even in Europe for general tech, mm-hmm. but especially in the blockchain space, it's a space where, they're only starting to hire things like technical writers, community well, not most community managers have been around for a little while, but mostly because of the ICO stuff. But uh, technical writers, developer relations, support engineers, these mm-hmm. sorts of roles that actually make the stuff understandable,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and. I won't I won't go into too much detail of what that means right now because I think it's a role that depends on the company. Some are in sales, some are in engineering, some are in marketing. It really depends on the company. It's one of those very nebulous roles. Yeah. But in my mind, i.e. a role which is sort of sitting somewhere between product, engineering, support, a little bit of soft sales and marketing as well. Yeah. The interesting aspect you have at the moment is – You've already kind of admitted that a lot of the tooling isn't available yet. So, what are you? I don't mean this in a bad way, yeah. but what are you? What are you uh, promoting for one of a better word to developers right now in your role?
1: Okay, so one thing. Um, so, some of our developer tooling is there, but okay. we're just going to keep adding to it. So, Commando and elements are there as, as okay, projects, yeah. um, but obviously, we there's a lot of you know we haven't released our SDK, which is kind of the you know essentially the core offering um so we are you know and you're right it's a very kind of it can be a very wide-reaching role um and i think particularly it's very interesting with something like blockchain which is such a highly technical uh, product and i think kind of developer relations is a very essential mm-hmm. role in that because communicating to developers understanding their needs um understanding what people are trying to to you know Do with the project? um, What are their pain points? Um, So it's a lot of kind of, I'm working, you know, I work in, I sit in marketing, but I'm with the developers Mm -hmm. every day. So very much acting as this kind of bridge in between the two um, and communicating that. So, you know, heavily involved in our blogs and vlogs and meetups and presenting, but also we're now doing a lot of um, work into terms of uh, Mapping who's in the community now, but also how do we reach out to developers outside the mm-hmm, blockchain mm-hmm. space? Because yeah, yeah, we want yeah. to bring people in um, and we need to kind of understand uh, sort of what are the motivations for a developer who's, you know, maybe they have quite a lot of experience outside of blockchain. Um, what are we off- what are we giving them that makes them want to kind of build with this? What, what are we kind of what are we going to offer them? So there's there's a lot of angles and there's a lot of parts to it. Um and yeah, it's a very exciting role.
0: And so I guess uh, you were hit upon a lot of challenges in the space too, like a lot of traditional developers are somewhat sceptical, yeah, of blockchain as having a point, as being nothing more than vaporware, etc. So, how much have you pushed out of the safe space mm-hmm. into that wider space, and what's the kind of if you have mm-hmm. what are the kind of interactions you've had so far, and so, how have they been?
1: Yeah, so I mean, last week. Uh, development team was at react day i I wasn't there um so we definitely are kind of building out that um and we get developers like so we had a meetup last week as well in amsterdam and we had developers from stripe and we're getting developers outside of out of the blockchain space and i think partly because because at lisk we've always had this focus on Accessibility and having uh, readable documentation, and being
0: somewhat realistic, yeah, the promises well to a to a point. So there's been a few things that slipped off the roadmap slightly, but <laughs> apart from that, yeah,
1: yeah, and it's um, yeah. I mean, we can't. When you speak to developers, it's not about kind of selling some crazy ICO vision. It's more about practically what can you do? Where where are you at? And being very realistic with that. Mm. Um, and yeah, just putting. We have a you know a team of people also writing documentation, um, and all of our developers are you know also available on our community channels. Okay. Um, and we also see actually what's kind of nice is within our so community we have a lot of developers who are kind of also helping onboard people. So you can go to the list chat and in the help channel, there's always people kind of stepping in and helping out. Um, so we really kind of want to grow that. Community of people who are excited by the project, who are building mm-hmm. with it, and also um, helping people um, onboard people as mm-hmm.
0: well. And I mean, a common thing that some developer relations people do—again, it, it depends on the company, budgets, mm. etc.—is uh, things like uh, conference talks and stuff like that. Um, if that is something you have been doing, how have you found? Uh, Pitching Lisk as a or things related to Lisk as a topic has it been easy? Are uh, people in charge of CFPs often a bit blasé about blockchain space? Or mm-hmm. have you? I mean, yeah, have you had any yeah. luck with that? Or
1: so we were at, um, we were at Blockchain Live in London. Is I guess
0: I guess we should probably set aside the the. I mean, let, let's maybe focus first on the the non blockchain events. Mm-hmm. Have Have you had any success with those? Or?
1: So we've. Um, I wasn't at React Day. Mm. Um, I was out of the office at the end of last week. Um, I know we were at TechCrunch also from the mm. same day, so it was like a super busy day for us. And um, we actually did have a lot of um, startups who are kind of starting to build. I um, spoke to the business development uh, guys here at Lisk, and they were saying. Yeah, we're getting a lot of interest from everything from, like, GovTech mm-hmm. to um, a whole range of kind of sectors. So they're kind of in the process of of mapping out kind of which yeah. which uh, use cases do you want to align with. But we do get a lot of um, – in fact, we get a lot of people kind of inquiring, like, how can we start building with Lisk yeah, or so, anything? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So uh, I think it's a hard one to sell. Like, I think that dose of reality is an important one. Mm. Um, the community has been a little – <laughs> a little up itself shall we say is mm-hmm. for a little bit too long and various events have maybe started to get a bit of a dose of um, what's the word there's a great word for that and I can't think what it is there's a phrase for sometimes a you know a much needed dose of reality I yeah. I'm sure there's a better word but I can't think what it is
1: I think it's and I think certainly particularly with where we're at now but it
0: humbles the... you a bit more and then yeah the the the, the, the conversation starts to become more balanced and yeah, I hope to see more pragmatic talks at developer conferences in the future about the use of uh blockchain technology, hopefully. Yeah. We'll see, if they lose in the door. Hopefully. I think that's definitely,
1: <laughs> definitely with where we're at now in terms of the market being quite a strong bear market. Yeah. Um which I think for, you know, for us who are developers and have an interest in the technology, these are actually really interesting times because this is when we build.
0: Actually, this is actually an interesting thing that is very... I'm glad you brought that up. Currently, mostly LightCurve slash Lisk is funded by ICO revenue. Yeah. Um, So I'm guessing you have a tradable token. Yeah. It's not been a good time for tradable tokens. Yeah. Uh, I am not entirely sure what that's meant for Lisk. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't heard much, so it probably hasn't been too drastic. Mm -hmm. But... um, In my mind, it's interesting when we get into this, maybe not so relevant for what people are doing with this, but with some of the other platforms, you know, like putting a token value on people's input to systems and things like that. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the economy has been a fundamental part of some of these. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that in theory makes them work, Mm -hmm. but then of course, shock horror when there's a tradable asset, there's also a significant amount of people who just look to profit from that with yeah, no course. input into the system at all. Yeah. And that is collapsing a little bit. And in some respects, a lot of the technical people say, this is a good thing because now we can focus on the technology. Mm. But of course, if the entire technology is also partially funded by that, it's a bit of a yeah. double-edged sword. But I mean, how, how has this as a project found... The slightly, slight increased skepticism in the value of tokens—is it a good thing to you? Is it a bad thing? Is it a short-term bad thing, mm. but maybe a long-term good thing?
1: I think. I mean, I think we're kind of fortunate in terms of uh, what we do and what we offer, in that we aren't. It's not like part of our core value. So we are building this platform, which is going to be very much around mm. uh, developers. Being able to create these blockchain applications. Now, of course, we have a list token, and um, that is part of our ecosystem. But we're not like a currency project. That's not. Yeah, yeah. We're not. We're
0: not. It doesn't matter if you are or you're not. Are, people but, still treat.
1: <laughs> and like, um, and we're also, you know, fortunate in the sense that we've, um, you know, we've been professionally, financially managed. We've got that's been handled by the list foundation. So we're, we've kind of been. We're not affected by it in that sense, but obviously we do see changes in the community. So Mm. on community channels, Um, now it's the people who are still engaged with the project. It's becoming more of the people who are technically interested. Um, And I I think that's why it is interesting for us from a sort of developer point of view, because now... maybe there's less distractions and we don't have to get you know waylaid into these lambo conversations and and stuff so it's it's uh, obviously it's painful i mean people have kind of lost a lot of money um but i think it's it's necessary also for the industry because i think things were being overpriced. get us out of the hype cycle again and
0: hopefully the media will start focusing on and often the the point is often made for technology to be uh, accepted into the mainstream We almost have to stop talking about it Yes, You're just using it without even knowing
1: Yeah, there's almost um, that period where it yeah. kind of goes quiet And people are like
0: Oh, did that die? It's like, no, yeah. oh, it's everywhere
1: it <laughs> again. Yeah.
0: You just you just stopped yeah. Reading crazy articles about it <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, So to wrap up, are we already Usually I ask people what's on the roadmap But that was actually one of the main <laughs> conversation <laughs> yes. points So is there anything we haven't mentioned That you want to make sure is mentioned?
1: Um, just, I mean, definitely follow our, our channel. So we have uh, regular communication in terms of updates with our development uh, blog. And then also please join us on Lisk on chat and uh, check out our GitHub as well.
0: And that interview with Rachel Black from Lisk rounded off this first episode for the new year and the first episode of this show under this name of the weekly squeak I have been Christian Chiller you can find more about me at christianchiller.com if you've enjoyed the show please share please rate and review and you can find ways to support the show at christianchiller.com support until next time thanks for listening <laughs>